He designed cells, one containing the genetic material of a mother and the other half the genetic material of the dad. Somehow these cells exist beyond all possibility. And then via a process that is itself evolutionarily improbable to the extent of being impossible, somehow these two cells encounter each other, they unite, they conceive, and then they result in a baby, a new life. And you think about that for a minute, because by my math, babies are ridiculously impossible. Yet we look around, they happen all the time. Each one is an impossible, wonderful miracle. So frankly, knowing that God has already done that whole complementary biology thing and then topped it off with the miracle of life in that moment of conception, when we hear the Virgin shall conceive, why aren't our hands in the air celebrating? How can our response be impossible? If God wills it, it will be done. Our God stands above and beyond the impossible. He's already done an infinite number of impossibles already. The virgin will conceive. Impossible, they say, yet the Christian has confidence that things are precisely as Mary presented them. She had not known a man. She is a virgin. I mean, think about that. Why would she lie? There's Gabriel. He's standing right before her. He's a messenger from God. That word angelos means angel. That's what we translate into angel. And these angels physically go about and they speak messages from God. Why would she lie? God can't be deceived. God's omniscient. He knows Mary. He knows every single thing about her. Every sin, every virtue, every grace, every failure. And there's something actually that we might think about for a moment. Nothing is hidden from God. And you know, that's a bit shocking to modern people who cling to the idea of privacy rights. It's shocking to realize that we have no privacy at all. Every single thing about us, about you, about me, our motivations, our desires, our ambitions, our dreams and fantasies, our thoughts, our hopes, everything you covet, everything you despise, everything you have done, and everything you have left undone. Nothing is hidden in you. Nothing was hidden in Mary. When she says, I have not known a man, Mary spoke truth, just as we would expect of one who is favored by God. When Mary was told this impossibility would happen to her, that's when she reveals herself to be human. Her, her doubting humanity, her questioning humanity came through. How can this be? I have never known a man. I'm a virgin. It's impossible. But Gabriel brings her wonderful news, a merciful gift, as it were, from God. Gabriel tells Mary that God had already done the impossible for her cousin Elizabeth. 
From the way that Gabriel is making this announcement, it is very likely that Mary was hearing of this impossible pregnancy, this impossible news for the very first time. And when Mary questions what Gabriel announces to her first, Gabriel sets her straight. This is how things are gonna unfold without a doubt within you. And when he offers this young, astonished, and then he offers this young, astonished, unwed mother to be a gift of tangible proof that God, in fact, does the impossible. Your relative, Elizabeth, in her old age, long past the years of conception, have also, has also conceived a son. And perhaps then Mary might again have thought, to protest, but before she can, Gabriel tells her, with God, nothing will be impossible. God is omnipotent, and so it was. The virgin conceived. The time had fully come, and God sent his son, Jesus, to be born. And God the Son emptied himself of everything that was due him by right as God, and he became nothing, and he humbled himself. God the Son became flesh conceived in the womb of a virgin. Now, before we move on, I just wanna to touch on two important things. First is to ask a question. Does this text imply anything about Mary's sinless perfection? And the answer is without a doubt, no. Though this is often taught, God's word clearly denies any opportunity for this claim. The Bible tells us there is no one, no one righteous, not even one. All, everybody has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Mary herself, this favored one of God, acknowledges that it is God who is her savior. So one in need of a savior is beyond sinless perfection. Today, though God's, through God's grace, we know that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He alone is the propitiation for our sin, for there is no salvation in anyone else, for there is no other name under heaven given among people by which we must be saved. The second point I want to touch and bounce briefly off of is when Mary says she's a virgin, she's not actually just talking about her physical condition. She is making a statement about who she is. She is a girl who loves God. And so her claim um, that she is that she has lived in a way that reveals her love and shows that she honors her God. Her virginity is a symptom then of her mindset, a symptom of her nature. It is evidence who she is. In Israel, virginity before marriage freely lived was a physical sign of a spiritual truth. So any modern teaching that virgin and young girl are simply synonyms distorts what Mary is revealing about herself. To understand Mary's statement, we would have to return to scripture and see this the words that her life was steeped in, the words by which her life was shaped. And we would have to look way back to the Exodus and, and we'd have to look back to the words in Deuteronomy and Leviticus. 
And though modern readers find these books of the Bible arduous and strenuous and heavy reading, they even consider them irrelevant. In these books, ancient Israel saw light. They saw God revealing himself. They saw life itself. The law revealed the God of Israel, his justice, his righteousness, his love, his holiness. The law called Israel to be holy because the Lord our God himself is holy. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my treasured possession among all the people. And Israel saw those words in Leviticus and Deuteronomy as guides to light their path through life. The precepts of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commandments of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And you know, there are at least two ways to live obedience. One is legal to try to do something by your own will that is foreign and unfamiliar. Scripture shows us how legal obedience produces a mere mask of holiness, but behind that mask hides pride, hypocrisy, and despair. Legalism produces oppression in the name of God, in the name of peace and unity. The other form of obedience is natural. Laws are lived because the people couldn't imagine living any other way. Law is lived because God is loved. Failures will happen, no doubt about it, but they are regretted, not celebrated. They are confessed, not hidden, and they are forgiven, not excused. God's people are holy. That is, they are distinct and different from other people because they seek God above all else. What defines and distinguishes them then is they love God. We love God if we are a people of God. So in every aspect of our life, our personal life, our social life, our physical life, our financial life, our commercial life, our national life. If we love God, he will be revealed in how we live. So we can understand Mary's astonishment. Conception outside of marriage is inconceivable to her. It's impossible. She is saying, I love God. His desire for procreation is loving according to his creative and covenantal choice. I am a virgin, therefore it's not possible. Yet that statement, I am a virgin, interfaces perfectly with Mary's next two statements. Let it be done to me according to your word, and my soul magnifies the Lord. These are the words of a girl who loves her God. If it is God's will, let his will be done. Mary obeys because that is who she is, the favored one, beloved, living to give God glory. God's way is beyond our understanding. Before him, the weak are strong. 
the last, our first. The life sacrificed and given and laid down does not lead to death, but it leads to true life. For God, nothing is impossible. So yes, the Virgin is a mother. The Virgin Mary did bear a son. His ways are marvelous and wonderful to our eyes. In Matthew's gospel, we are told of the trials that Mary would face. We might imagine her anxiety. Perhaps she would remember the stoning of an adulteress. Perhaps she would stress over dishonoring her parents. Perhaps she would stress over the humiliation of Joseph, her shaming, the damage to her reputation. Perhaps she would fear a coming divorce. Yet Mary, this virgin girl, this favored one was steeped in the scriptures. She inhabited God's law and lived his word. The hope of Israel shaped. Answer that phone, invite them down. No worries at all. It was actually a priest who, after my time um, and, and the invention of cell phones, because right when I was young, there was no such thing as a cell phone. And, uh, but this guy came in and every time somebody's phone went off, you know, in the early days, because we didn't really, we had to turn the, the thing off for the, the bell not to ring. And that's what he would do every time he would stop and he would say, invite them, answer the phone, invite them to church. And then he would pray for whoever it was. <laughs> and uh, so you can pray for them. <laughs> we won't go any further than that. So where was I? I don't even remember. Mary, right. Mary's hope, her life was shaped by the hope of Israel. Her desire and her thoughts were, of, were not of you know, self-preservation. Mary was prepared to live the life that God was setting out before her. She trusted God because she loved God. My soul, she said, magnifies the Lord. Let it be done to me as you say. And you know, God would do the impossible. He would become flesh in the body of this young girl, Mary. Here in Mary, we even glimpse the expression of the love that Jesus would teach us. We glimpse the living of that self-giving life that he would live and that he would call us to. And you know, Mary would hurry and she got up. There's almost an image there, right? Of the Bethlehem shepherds, right? They, they, she hears the news from God announced by an angel and, and off she goes to see if it's true. And Mary very much like those shepherds got up and she ran to visit Elizabeth and Mary would find Elizabeth miraculously pregnant, six months pregnant, the, uh, the impossible made obvious, standing right there before her, and Elizabeth would greet Mary with the exact words that she needed to hear. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what God spoke to her. Here again, if we think about it, is another impossible. How could Elizabeth have known in the first place what was going on in Mary's life? Nobody knew. 
Yet here before Mary was this elderly relative far beyond childbearing years, impossibly pregnant with a child jumping inside of her, speaking what only Mary had been told. It's impossible, yet it's all true, all of it. And Mary's heart sings, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. For he who is, who is mighty, has done great things in me, and holy is his name. At Christmas time, we often sing a song um, that asks an important question. What child is this who lays to rest on Mary's lap, is sleeping? And then we all join together in a very robust refrain. This is Christ, the King, God's anointed one, God the Son made flesh in Mary. From this virgin, the long-expected Jesus was born to set his people free. So finally, think about that for a minute. Think about the impossible being made possible. It's impossible for us to avoid the consequences of our sin. It's impossible for us to avoid death and damnation that we have brought upon ourselves. It's impossible for us to avoid the righteous judgment of our holy God. How could it even be possible for sinners to stand in the presence of a holy God? And the answer is found in the impossible virgin birth. For us, it is impossible, but with God, who stands above the impossible, nothing, nothing is impossible. He loves us despite all we have done to oppose him. He loves us despite our rebellion against us. He offers us forgiveness, not condemnation. He offers us redemption, not destruction. He offers us life, not death. He calls us home to himself. He calls us to be his holy people. He loves us and he desires our love. Here we find the impossible gifts of Christmas made possible only through the one, the Christ, God the Son, born of the Virgin Mary. So I'm grateful. I'm grateful at this time of year that with God, nothing is impossible. And so my prayer for you today in Advent at Christmas until Jesus coming again is that you will earnestly receive the gift of the impossible. Jesus gives life. Jesus is love. He brings light to the darkness. He brings us hope. He brings us peace. He brings us joy. All the things that these candles represent but ultimately he loves us so much that he opened the way for each of us and all of us to return to God. So I pray that you will, in the Christ born of the Virgin, find the very real possibility of receiving God's love for each of you. Amen. So will you pray with me? Almighty God, we bless you and thank you for the impossible made possible. 
because of your love for us, your gift of Jesus Christ, God, the only Son born of the Virgin Mary, you opened the way home to you. You make possible what is impossible for us, that we be reconciled and restored to you. Move in us. Holy Spirit, move in us. Reveal anything that separates us from you. Restore in us the joy of your salvation. Help us to see our sin, to turn from our rebellion, and to receive your Christ, the eternal gift of Christmas. Amen.